3: To a Celtic state of mind I'm Paul John Dykes And today I am delighted to be joined once again By the Axom team Declan McConville, J.P. Mason Welcome back, we're another week into the silence uh, And 75 days away from our first uh, Champions League qualifier for next season J.P. Uh, Also, interestingly enough you also uh, reminded us That was the year that we lost the 10, first time round So cheers for that <laughs>
1: <laughs> before our time before any of our time so you
3: know. I know and it's n- not often I can uh, it's not often I can say that these days but yeah we're still getting a, a huge amount of silence coming out of Celtic Park there's a few talking points today that's one of the things I want to talk about the fan disengagement um, you know I don't always like to, to use Chelsea as an example but we'll look at what Chelsea are doing to get their fans involved in uh, the process at the club by inviting them into the board Meetings, Which is uh, quite a groundbreaking uh, move by Chelsea uh, Obviously the Spirit of Shankly at Liverpool are in discussions with their club uh, Around fan representation on the board Yeah, at Celtic, everything remains quiet So, I mean, it's, it's indicative of where we are at the club at the moment We'll also be speaking about the announcement last night um, Around the Celtic Colts being included in the pyramid system this is something that was uh, floated by Jock Steen back in 1968 some people said he was a forward thinking manager but that has taken it to new degrees (laughs) he made made an application in 1968 to get the Celtic B team the quality street gang as it was at the time into the second division in Scotland and there's a few other things to discuss, Um, there was a an interest in freedom of information. Request, Declan McConville all around the Dubai trip that just won't go away. Have a wee chat about that. Um, player of the year, first time in a decade. A Celtic player has not been nominated once again. It really just um, is indicative of how bad the season's been. And let's have a wee look at the uh, some of the targets and some of the um, names that are being linked to Celtic. Because there was an interesting discussion um, in the Axom WhatsApp group that can get a bit hairy at times in there but there was an interesting discussion about the transfer policy and where we're going to go from here. Um, So we'll have a wee chat about that and looking close up to home. But first and foremost, uh, JP, what's your feeling now, Um, all this time later with absolutely no real movement to speak of in Uh, relation to the, the managerial situation and the engagement with supporters?
1: It's it's kind of weird. That I've got like a kind of. I think I said this before. I've got kind of like one, you know, one thought about it on one hand, and one thought about it another. In terms of the silence and the 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 supposed so called disengagement,
0: mm.
1: and I just just before I came on air, I read a, a, a certain journalist for a certain paper's article about this whole thing. I'm not going to mention who it is, um, but he was basically implying that you know. There must be they must be sitting on something. How could they not mm. be sitting on something? you know there's absolutely no way that there would just be this this level and length of silence if there wasn't something if they didn't have a, a a couple of rabbits out of a hat and he actually said, you know new manager, a new captain you know who's to say that you know we wouldn't announce a new cap a new sign in mm. as a new captain at the exact same time as a new head coach or manager, which is something I hadn't previously thought about but um. That's that's a possibility as well because I actually think that we need to sign someone to be a new captain. I don't think there's anybody there that 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 is standing head and shoulders above above everyone else to be in a captain material.
3: It's a discussion that's. Um you know, been aired on Axom a few times over the last few weeks. So we'll pick up on that just now, JP, the Celtic captaincy. Declan, obviously, we're going to be saying farewell very soon to Scott Brown, who there was the discussion just yesterday or the day before yesterday around the fact that he can't be uh, referred to as a legend, uh, according to Charlie Nicholas. And interestingly enough, some of the commenters uh, that day agreed that he's not a legend. That Personally... You know, It's difficult to define what's a legend, what's a great, uh, what even is a cult icon, Declan. But Scott Brown, I think, in my mind, is a club legend. He's a modern-day legend. Maybe in time people will appreciate it more, as often happens with football. But I agree with JP, um, and I think I've said in the past that I don't think Callum McGregor, although he has been touted as a natural successor for the armband, I don't think he's a captain. He's come off probably the worst season that he's had in a Celtic jersey. Um, and I don't think that giving him the added um, you know, responsibility of being the captain uh, when the pressure next season is going to be massive with the rebuild and winning back the league title, new manager, new regime, new structure, I don't think that would be a good idea. I don't think he's a natural captain, Declan. And I've, I've pitched the case for Chris Ayer, but I doubt very much that Chris Iyer will be at the club. Um, and I know a lot of Celtic supporters have huge concerns about his ability as a centre half um, you know the the nuts and bolts of defending for example Declan which we've not done well enough this season um, obviously he's partly uh, to blame for that so what's your thoughts on a captain have we ever signed somebody and instilled him as a captain straight away I don't think so
4: no I don't think so um, you know and Scott Brown to me is a Celtic legend you know I think for anybody that's round about my ages he's, he's always been in the team so it is going to be very strange to watch Celtic without Scott Brown um, probably before last week I would have said Callum McGregor was was a man to be Celtic captain but you know he's naive in the big game last week I think we were all let down yes Walsh looking back on the actual ruling um, shouldn't have did it because I never know that the ruling is if you do play advantage that you know then allowed to go back and book the player mm-hmm. but I don't think Callum is probably going to be the guy that would dig out a hole and rally the troops if you're down um, and I think the way his game is you know, people be kinda of him as a very tippy tappy type of player. He likes to get the ball on the ground and move it about. He's he's no one that will put his foot in and whatnot. Um so it probably is at the point now where we are looking to, to maybe sign a replacement captain. Um but you know, Callum McGregor I'd I like him to be part of the squad but I, I don't I, I now don't think he's gonna be the right guy to be the captain. Um it's gonna be important for the rebuild but I just don't think he's maybe got the the right attributes to be Celtic captain
3: I'm going to come to you on this one JP because it's something I've felt for for some time around the the captaincy that was given to Paul McStay now before anybody gets uh, ravenous about the fact that I'm using Paul McStay as an example I'm not comparing him to Callum McGregor and I'm not going to compare him to David Turnbull either but I think that um Obviously, the, the time the timing of that was that we were going through a huge upheaval at Celtic at the time that he was given the captaincy. We'd lost some massive, massively influential players in Tommy Burns and Roy Aiken, who were born captains of Celtic. If you ask me, and then you know we had a lot of new players coming in, a few youngsters coming in, new management team, and Paul McStay was given the the captaincy. And I remember reading actually in one of Phil McNeil's autobiographies that um, there was a a sense of regret looking back that it may have been too much on the shoulders of Paul McStay, who should have just been left to develop and perform as the player we knew he was. Um, so on the one hand, you've got the very, very poor Celtic team he was playing in, in the like, you know, uh, early 90s, and the extra burden of the captaincy, and obviously, I, I don't think we've seen the best of him because of these, uh, these reasons. The very peak of his powers, for me, was a centenary season, JP. So I think there is always, uh, for me a sense of uh, you know, caution when giving a captaincy to a player there are some players who can take it at will, at ease and run with it and I just think, you know what if we want to see the best of McGregor next season if we want to see him getting back to his best giving him the captaincy would be a bad, bad idea um, what's your thoughts on my, my words on Paul McStay and the captaincy do you think that that affected his play? back in the early 90s as well as everything else that was gone well, I
1: was going to say as well as everything else God, I mean the, the, the fact that we uh, were operating a biscuit tin mentality when it came to signings to, to help to help him out as a captain and, and all that I think I think with McGregor McGregor is definitely about standards and I think McGregor has, has, has probably learned a lot from from Brendan Rodgers and his time mm. and, and you never hear any patter about McGregor he's not on social media you never hear about him, you know, being up to anything out out and about uh, Glasgow or anything like that. And I like that about him, um, and I certainly think in terms of a role model as a football player, 100% Cal McGregor is is, is one to look up to. But I think he, I don't know if he's got that that kind of angry bite side of it that, that Scott Brown has had in his time as captain. And I think it's all about a balance when you when you're playing a captain, and that's why I say. I don't think there's anybody that stands out because I don't think I will be there after the summer from everything that the that, that people have said and, and, and certainly noises that have been made before today. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I, I would, you know, it's, it's opened my, that article has opened my mind to thinking of, you know, what would happen if that did happen, if someone just mm-hmm. came straight in and was, was made captain. I, I don't think you can say it's going to upset the dressing room because, the the, the dressing room isn't together anyway I mean from what I can see
3: so no no (laughs) I mean with regards to Ayer again I've been a big um, supporter of Chris Ayer, a big champion of him Uh, but again you've just got to look at how poor we've been defensively and he's part of that so he's got to take the responsibility for it but I'm like yourself JP I don't expect him to still be at the club which frightens me because I've already read out the potential defence that we'll have unless we really strengthen in that respect but Callum McGregor Declan we've heard quite a lot of comments coming in saying that he gets a bit of a free ride on a Celtic state of mind, we never criticise him for bad performances and again it's a try to strike a balance between what happens often with James Forrest and the amount of criticism he was getting prior to his injury Um, but actually looking at uh, the reasons behind it as well and I think that McGregor for me has been carrying a couple of players um, during every game and he's probably played too much football and then when we decide to rest them we rest them in the wrong game in the cup game against Ross County so yeah I take it um, and I just said there I think it's the worst season he's had in a Celtic jersey but I'm not writing him off and uh, he's one player that I don't want to leave in the preseason. I'm almost resigned to Ayer going I think Edward's going and I would expect Christie to go as well but I don't want Callum McGregor Because although I don't think He's a captain I do think he's influential Like what JP says He's, he's kind of like a role model I know there was A, a small blip In his His kind of copybook. Uh, there was an incident In Glasgow But that was a few years ago And there's, he's certainly Not a boy about town Who gets himself Into scrapes And all that So I want to see him stay And it's important To keep players like McGregor Because there needs to be Some kind of succession It can't just be a new team That we put out next season
4: yeah, there needs to be a, a continuity in there. And I think Callum McGregor, you know, I, I think I've come to expect so much from him in terms of performance. He'd always be a kind of solid seven or eight out of ten in, in majority of games. I thought last season he was very good. He scored that really good goal at first park and whatnot. Um but this season he's been below par. Um he showed he had did have a bit of bottle about him if you remember the little game at Celtic Park. Yeah. Probably our best performance of the season. He makes a mistake and he goes up the part and he scores the penalty. So um it showed a bit of character and a bit of bottle, which he's definitely getting his game. And I think under the right manager, in terms of what he's probably you touched on earlier, JP, in terms of you know, Roger's attention to detail with players, um, is something I think Callum McGregor probably likes. And I think under a new management system would probably thrive. So I think it's important that we keep Callum in the team. It's good bit of continuity in the team, he's an experienced head. He gets what Celtic's all about. But um in terms of captaincy, I'm unsure.
3: Now, the, the main headline, um, if there is such a thing on a Celtic state of mind, is all around um, fan engagement uh, JP. Why Dominic Mackay should allow supporter presence at the board meetings? Now, I'm going to bring up a few different views on this one. So, first of all, Liam Reid, who's watching on YouTube. Thanks for joining us, Liam. If anyone else is out there watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel because uh, big plans for Axom and all the other channels that the contributors are creating. Young Declan there is uh, the presenter of of the state of politics, which um, is getting some very, very good views. you went live the other day, Declan. It was uh, a good watch. Liam says, I'm really disappointed in Dominic Mackay. We were told that he is great at engaging with fans. Since he has come in, I have seen nothing to suggest that's the case. Now, we've got probably the counter to that, which is Gwyn's beard, who says he isn't fully in a job yet, though. He didn't. Just start early. He's under PL's wing at the moment. Peter is still in the job. So, yeah, absolutely, he's not yet uh, in position, but he's at the club. And I remember in the week that Dominic arrived early, uh, we asked the question, when's he going to address the Celtic fans? And some of the comments we got was let him get in the door, What? what's the point in coming in, he's got nothing to say. Well, it would have just basically been a holding address, wouldn't it? It would basically say that um, I'm here, we know it's been a really, really poor season and this is what we hope to do to uh, re-engage with you and improve matters. Uh, would you expect JP? You know, we're now two and a half weeks down the line. Would you have expected anything from Dominic Mackay or are you of the view that, you know what, he's not in position yet? Um, Kevin Graham reckons he's trying to find out what the biscuit stash is and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there is that induction period, isn't it? The, the the handover from Peter Lowell, you know, 18 years worth of handover onto Dominic Mackay. So where are you on this?
1: I just immediately heard Kev's... Yeah, uh, <laughs> on almost an imitable accent, they saying those exact words. Um, where am I on the government? I think no, I don't. I don't. I haven't expected him to come out and say anything because it, it it just wouldn't it wouldn't feel right for him to come out as a guy who's basically shadowing on a job to come out and address. You know what is quite a sizeable amount of people. Really, if you think about it, I mean mm. sometimes I forget how many people you know, maybe tune into this. You know, it it just feels like I'm just sitting talking to you two and then you're like, oh, actually a few thousand people are watching this. So for him to come out and address the Celtic, you know, fan base, it's quite a big moment for him, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going forward. So I don't think it's right that he necessarily does that while Peter Law was still in charge. I would have expected maybe to hear something. And I know that uh, John Paul, uh, the slo had indicated in a tweet that they expected something from Celtic within the last couple of days they thought there was going to be some sort of general address to the to the fans and that's not been forthcoming so I would have thought that would have happened already um mm-hmm. and but with regards to the question about supporter presence in the board meeting I mean absolutely I mean you don't want to send a maniac in there but somebody that's balanced and you know uh, maybe is already known between you know amongst the support or whatever but just to, just to have a voice, you know, it would, it would be great, you know, and, and, and also, yeah. you get honest, honest, uh, an honest reveal about what actually goes on. <laughs> I mean, if, if they would be allowed to reveal that to us as fans, uh,
3: you know, these are the things, JP. Obviously, I met you through a Celtic state of mind, and Declan mainly we know each other through a Celtic state of mind, so you get to know a lot of different people, and it's brilliant. But one of the people, one of the people, one of the persons that came in was Tom Grant, and you remember Tom, JP, from being part of the, the, the old um, board, obviously, mm-hmm. he inherited his father's shares and his father had inherited it from their um, his cousin um, or auntie, so he, he basically inherited all these shares at Celtic and ended up as a board member uh, and he was a fan and he still is a fan and he's a season ticket holder and he still goes with his mates, obviously under normal circumstances he would anyway. And one of the insights that he gave us that day, as well as things, and by the way, this was a quite an early Axom podcast that we did, so check it out because it'll be on YouTube and Spreaker and iTunes and stuff. But there was a few really, really good insights into uh, the workings of Celtic around about that time. One of them in actual fact, was around the Mo Johnston deal. So if you can bear to listen about that, go back and give that a wee quick listen because he talks about dodgy payments under the table, payments, basically bungs and Celtic were offered. Uh, you know, if you pay X amount under the table and it's not in the books, you'll get the player. Um, and apparently somebody else was willing to pay that, but Celtic weren't at the time and that's why the deal eventually fell through. So Tom Grant was talking about this, but he was talking about the board meeting. So... When his father passed away, his first job was he was to, he basically minuted all the meetings, JP. All the boardroom meetings, all the board meetings, he'd done the minutes. And he kept all the notes and he still got them. So if you look at I think he came in Round about the time of David Hay Coming in as the manager So what am I looking at 83, 84 kind of time And he was there right up Actually he was still at the club As a stadium manager When Fergus came in So he was at the club for a long time So I would love to have a wee look Through the, the boardroom meetings You know And the different things that were discussed It would be an incredible insight But the, the reason I'm bringing it up in, in relation to the supporter presence, there's been quite a lot of talk around uh, fan representation. And um, obviously there's the Celtic shared, um, you know, innovation that uh, we've spoken about and we've chaired a couple of the the QAs on a Celtic state of mind. And it's an interesting uh, way to, to actually attack it or, or tackle the issue. But I'm looking at the situation down south, uh, Chelsea. I'm going to use them as an example because it's actually a very good example. And as of the 1st of July, Chelsea have announced that there will be supporter presence at the board meetings. Now, as JP says, Declan, right, even when we did our first dial-in show, and it was a trial show yesterday with Amy and Colin, uh, people say it was very contrived because there was a few of the wider contributors dialing in, that was because we were just basically checking the system, making sure it was it would work but we did have one absolutely brand new contributor um, of I would maybe say a dozen people that got in touch with us who hopefully will all appear at some time but the process of getting someone on and as uh, JP says and they're not a maniac, it's quite a difficult situation so obviously everything has to be vetted and, 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 and all that kind of thing and I'm guessing that if there was representation at these meetings or or indeed on the board um eventually. It was something it would need to be something that was on a nomination um kind of process. It's not as though somebody could self nominate or a or a group or a firm or an association could self nominate. The fans would have to have a say in that, of course. Um but what's your thoughts on it, Declan? Moving into a a whole new era of football post Covid, is this the way forward for a public like Celtic?
4: I think one of the things I want to touch on first, Paul, is Bayern Munich's club president, what he said yesterday about season tickets. Now, this is a kind of wee drift away, but I thought it was really interesting to hear what he said. He said, this is verbatim, we could charge more than £104. Let's say we charged £300, we'd get £2 million more in income. But but what's £2 million to us? And a transfer discussion, you argue about that some for five minutes but the difference between £104 and £300 is huge for the fan. We do not think the fans are like cows who you milk. Football has got to be for everybody. That's the biggest difference between us and England. Now, German football is, of course, very different to British football. I understand that. Bayern Munich's a very different football club to Celtic, but there was a very good piece of communication between Bayern Munich's president and their supporters. Mm. Now, I know Dominic Mackay is not fully in his role at this point in time but something doesn't even need to be from Dominic Mackay Peter Lawwellian and back here somebody but I think what's been the issue for, for fans not just this season but years previous is that lack of communication the only time it happens is at the AGM you get a section I've been to two people can ask questions you get a couple of minutes somebody will answer it and then that's it and it's not you, you don't get the time because these things you know they want their cup of tea and they off, and that's it. So, I think if a club like Chelsea can do it, Celtic can do it again. Would it be official bodies that represent fans, whether that be the affiliation, the association? We've got the trust to represent a lot of fans. I don't have a problem with it because, at the end of the day, you know, fans should have as big a say in the running of their football club as the people on the board are there. And we're the people that are paying for season tickets. I get that you need smart businessmen to be there all these guys that are on our board should be able to do their job properly at points this time this season that has been questionable. But mm. I, I wouldn't have an issue with any fan getting in there and, you know, being able to put their, their hat into the ring, whether they're listened to or not, is a different story. But I think you would certainly ease the tension that's being created this season by allowing that to happen because you would have some form of communication and that's something you really, really need to work on, which I think Dominic McKay will work on. He's got a degree in media and communications um, so, you know, I think that's the one thing we need to work on. And it's not, you know, we're not expecting big who has and whatever, but just talk to us. I've said mm-hmm. that continually on this podcast. You know, if things don't happen, they don't happen. But if you tried, then okay.
3: See, the big thing for me, I'm going to uh, name drop Tony Haggerty, who is a very um, trusted uh, and valued member of the Axom team. And he did say, because obviously he's from a media background, and that's a that is a job and an employment route that Declan, yourself, you're taking uh, into journalism and media. And he was speaking about how everybody thinks that, uh, you know, they, they always shout about engagement and, uh, you know, I would say this and I would say that. But the minute you give sometimes people a platform to actually air their views or ask the question, you know, they, they fall silent. So it's very important to get the right people to represent the fans so that when it comes down to the crunch, when they get that moment, uh, that opportunity to put, all, you know, across the fan views, they are capable and able to do it. So, on that note, actually, and you've got to be as fair and balanced as possible. We've heard that Declan, Declan, uh, that Dominic Mackay um, has been contacting Celtic supporters. We heard it you know, live on Axon two or three Mondays ago that he phoned uh, a specific Celtic fan at home and was on the phone for 10 minutes having a chat with him. So there's engagement ongoing. It might just be that um, a lot of the people who are uh, being engaged with aren't shouting from the rooftops. Um, in relation to ourselves as a podcast, as a broadcast, a Celtic state of mind have been trying for a long time to engage with the club in various different ways. Declan, I, I I'll probably explained them to yourself over the, yeah. over the piece. Uh, press access was something that we have tried to get we've also tried to speak to certain members of the club um, certain directors uh, of the club and you know, so that we could put it out to the wider fan base because although JP what you're saying there is correct about going out to thousands, the reason I sometimes mention that is that obviously in relation to progressing Axom and getting in you know, proper sponsors to uh, the channel to allow us to develop it and grow it uh, and get more people on board. I need to look at all the figures. I need to look at these things. So although we'll never, um, you know, chase a clip bait headline to get an audience in it is important that people are tuning in and I think that shows itself a kind of small microcosm of the Celtic support you know it's a community in itself but one thing the club have done because you've got to be balanced is they have started allowing us to attend certain press conferences um, that they Put forward now. Although we have through a state of mind access to clubs including Hibs and Livingston, so we have the same kind of access as like Sky Sports, STV, BBC, etc. When it comes to Celtic, we are often given the kind of individual events that they set up just for fan or alternative media, and that's great because it's better than you know the nothing that we were getting before. But next week, here's here's the thing: next week we have been invited into a press conference with Scott Brown. Right, The departing captain, Scott Brown, and Natasha will be re- representing a Celtic state of mind at that press conference. But it goes back to the point I made before. We're going on about fan representation, what would you say and what would you ask? Have a wee think about that. So, if I was to say to you, Deck, right, you're sitting in for Axon next week, you're speaking to Scott Brown, what would you ask him?
4: Um, I'd probably ask him, you know, leaving Celtic now. Does he feel that there's a regret in leaving at this point in time with what's happened? Would he have liked to have left on a high, inevitably? Um, does he ever see a future for himself back at the club? Mm. Does he still think he's got a lot of time left in his legs? Um, remember, this is you know, I've got a wee bit of experience with the old pressers. I mean, my new pal, Jack Ross, so um, <laughs> I became an old hand at them. But uh, yeah, I, I think that'd be quite an interesting one. I'll probably tune into that Could it be quite here. And again, you, you, you'll get different questions asked to, Scott, again, from fans' views because even though I want to do journalism and whatnot, some of these questions that you watch and listen to from the old uh, traditional journalists are the same questions. They're boring. Genetic. Some, yeah, they're generic. It's the same rubbish. Oh, there's blah, blah, blah. Oh, you're looking forward to this and you've had a good season and blah, blah. And it's like, change it up a bit. So I think alternative fans' media... Uh, been able to talk to figures like Scott Brown and whatnot. is very good and you can get different questions we've seen that even this season when uh, we were given about access to the pressers by John Kennedy that you can ask different questions but that's what I would ask Scott Brown about you know probably the element of regret this season and um, if he saw still coming back to the club and a future role
3: Interesting What about yourself JP? Any burning questions you would ask Bruni?
4: Uh, why did you kick
1: out of Neymar in that Champions League game? <laughs> no, no, no. I still, I, 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 as much as I love him, oh man, I still wish he had to that because I think we would have beat them again that night. I really do. Aye. I really that
3: was though. frustrating. I was and, frustrating. Yep. Um,
1: but no, I'd, I'd, I'd probably ask him. Um, if he really I'd probably ask him what his highlight in the Champions League game would be because obviously he's played in loads not many recently unfortunately but uh, he's played in loads of them I'd ask him what, what his highlight is in that in terms of the calibre of players that he was going up against because I mean if you look at his roll call the fields he's gone up against over the last 13 years I mean he's definitely gone up against some of the best players that have ever graced a football pitch yeah um, Javi. I mean, I mean, that's stuff off the top of my head though. I mean, I'm sure there's way, way more. I bet you it's amazing. So I'd ask him that. And i also ask him if uh, uh, his thoughts on the Dubai trip. And I know he wouldn't give me an honest answer, but I'd be like, did you did you want to go? Did you, right. when, when you were told, you want to go to Dubai?
2: It's the marketer's report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, global chief marketing officer, direct consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that house of the dragon which was one of our most successful if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show audio was a core part of that as the number one audio company iheartmedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow not just a media company iheartmedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Did you want, as a captain, did you think?
3: That, see, that again, that would be a very, very interesting one because if it was shaped in such a way, um, you know, it, it's a difficult question for him, isn't it? Because he's well, still representing, you know. Of
1: yeah, yeah, I understand. It's not, you know, if I was if I was given the opportunity, I don't think I'd ask that question because, I, well, I probably wouldn't be allowed to ask that question. <laughs> And, you know, he wouldn't be able to give me an honest answer. He'd probably be like, next. <laughs> this this
3: <laughs> is a good one. This is. A, I'm glad you brought it up, JP, because it actually gives you the difference between, as Declan was talking there, the mainstream side of things against um, alternative media. So, for example, if you were working for one of the mainstream channels or uh, newspapers, you'd probably be told to ask that question that question you'd you'd be told go in and ask that question mm-hmm. and if you don't then you're going to be questioned so that that is agenda driven isn't it and that that has always been the issue so you'd be going in there with this agenda that some other guy um some other guy above you or girl is is telling you to go in and ask that question when it comes to us as an alternative celtic channel natasha goes in there and asks her our ask question in any way shape or form she decides you know so i think it's Agenda against the non-agenda kind of driven um, view on it. I, I I would be interested because I think that you know we're in a we're in an era where you know statues of Celtic players have been going up um, and they're up for the right people. You know Jimmy Johnston and um, you know you've got Brother Walfred Jock Steen, Billy McNeil and then there's plans to have another one of Billy McNeil. There's another one in Uddingston of of Jimmy Johnston oh, yeah. uh, and that. Uh, yeah, Bobby salt Lennox, that's right. Yeah, Salt Coats. And I think these are great. And I actually think that there should be one for every single Lisbon line, uh, you know, in, in their place where they were either residing or, or where they were born, a place associated to the player. Personally, that's what I feel. Um, but the big thing about Hillabeath, where Scott Brown comes from, is that there's one of Jim Baxter. So when you're driving into Hillabeath, which is a tiny wee village in Fife, and you're driving in, there's this um, beautiful bronze statue of Jim Baxter on the left hand side and he's nonchalantly kind of looking down on you as he's uh, moving with the ball and you just think well it would be nice on the other side of the road to have the Bruni you know (laughs) a statue of the Bruni just standing like that so um, I think these things cost about 70 or 80 grand so we might start the fundraising for that (laughs) Um, but I don't think Scott Brown would, would buy into it so yeah on the one hand, we're talking about a lack of engagement. On the other, credit to the club, they've asked us in for that uh, press conference next week, and Natasha will be representing Axom And I'm looking forward to some of our questions. Um, and I'll pass that one on to our JP that you that you raised there um, in relation to to that. Because on the subject of the buy, there was a freedom of information uh, published on the government website last night, um, Declan. I believe it's now a 404 not found message you get when you click on the link, probably because there's been some issues with the redaction, maybe a data breach, something along the lines. Um, what did you make of it? I think it was a 34-page document. Um, one of the from team had the foresight to save it, so we do have access to that document. Um, anything groundbreaking? I believe that it cuts off at a very pivotal moment in the proceedings uh, prior to the decision, obviously, to, to uh, prevent 13 Celtic players from playing in two games
4: yeah I think redaction first it's always very very difficult to actually get through a document and understand it properly because so much gets taken out names get taken out whoever's talking whatever the issue is who's involved so that's always very difficult but the the timing of the date seems very interesting that was what we had a quick chat about on air Um, the communication just seems to cease so it will be interesting to see what happens in the follow up of this Uh, but you know, I think still, I'm still of the opinion, no matter what happens, it shouldn't have went to Dubai and it was a, a bad mistake. The, the club admitted that, Peter admitted that in a video, no matter whether they had been given the thumbs up, in my opinion, it was a silly mistake to make. Especially when the club still have staff in furlough but could afford a, you know, few hundred thousand pound trip to Dubai that was not needed and basically killed two games for us.
3: Yeah, we've heard some horrific figures, like even as uh, high as half a million quid, Hmm. Declan. You're reading the, the document, and as you say, with regards to redactions, and for anyone who has been unfortunate enough to be employed in a position where you've had to do redactions, you will know that it's so easy because it's human error. It's human error. I mean, you can type into the, if it's Adobe or whatever you use, a certain word that you want to redact, that's fine, but it doesn't catch them all, and you might give away somebody's identity, not by name, but by position. It's a very difficult and labour-intensive job. Um, but to be fair, that was only 30-odd pages. I I was in a job, JP, where my redactions were over a 1,000 pages long, and we were doing reports with bundles like that every single week. So it's mind-numbing. Um, but yes... Of-
1: coffee and
3: a lot, a lot of all-nighters probably a lot of Red Bull yeah absolutely but I mean th- th- these are the things that brings it back to focus it's one of these things as Declan says we've spoke about it time and time again the Dubai trip brings it back into focus um, and obviously the, the post Dubai press conference where Neil Lennon and he was talking about hypocrisy and then there's a suggestion that uh, we were harshly dealt with in relation to the amount of players that couldn't play in those two games. Um, what, how, what's your feelings on this, JP? Is it time to move on? I mean, because I'm guessing now that someone else will put in another Freedom of Information request for the dates uh, following, you know, the timeline of that particular report.
1: I mean, the actual the the aftermath of Dubai and what it caused us is is there for all to see in terms of who we had to play in those games and who we had the personnel to play in those games that can 't be changed now so it 's ultimately i think it 's futile if you 're you know talking about whether goalposts were changed or anything else, it was a it was a fluid situation, wasn't it? It's not as if there was any precedent for this, you know, happening. It's, I don't really think you could sort of start pointing. fingers, I certainly wouldn't start pointing fingers and say, saying, "Oh well," or oh, they changed it, they changed this or they changed that because it was Celtic, and um, you know, it's some sort of discrimination against us or, or the club. Um, I think maybe maybe there was a, a case that they were just not organised or they weren't on the ball in terms of. Everything that was going on to do with that, but it was, it was a it was a brand new situation for everybody. So I certainly start to point of the finger. One thing I would say is, is why did Celtic um, place such emphasis on going to Dubai? You know, why why was there such a, 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 a desire by the manager and the club to go and take all that playing staff over to Dubai? And then you've got to think back to you know, Neil Wennon's outburst after Ferris Varos and saying that players didn't want to be there. Was was Dubai a genuine last ditch attempt, or not last ditch attempt, but an attempt to try and create a bit of harmony, a bit of camaraderie, you know, and did did they think that that would do that in in terms of you know, it's always great to go away with people that you work with and like that. I went on a, a work trip with uh, D F to Berlin and it was amazing, you know, the whole the whole of our DF uh, group all went to Berlin for a couple of days. That was our Christmas uh, night out, and it, went, it did build bonds, and it did, you know, create a camaraderie. So was that genuinely there, despite the fact that it was completely a terrible idea, given the the, the, the circumstances that they went there in? But was that there? did, did that show you the, the lack of harmony that was there, um, that that became? Oh, let's let's press the button and Dubai. Let's go to Dubai
3: the last throw of the dice yeah, I mean, as it were
1: arguably, arguably it might have worked <laughs> because I still maintain that those those games after after January if we did go into those games with our full personnel available arguably we would have won them I mean, it's all ifs and maybe. And I'm not trying to make excuses but you know you know what I'm saying I think we could have taken care of those games uh, that's what I'm saying and then when they, when they weren't taken care of everybody just kind of went oh well that's it isn't it You know, and when Nisbet scored that equaliser, probably Lennon sitting at home, self isolating, just saying, well, that's that then.
3: Talking to Ocoflex and his AirPods, apparently. (laughs) Um, Now, when when we're looking at, there's a couple of other points to cover here. We've named a couple of players there. Um, Celtic's signing policy. Declan, is something that has been obviously uh, discussed, uh, because we're moving into a new regime, a restructure, a rebuild, all of these things, and Colin Watt yesterday was talking about how um, influential a new man could be coming in and working with what he's got, you know, as well as supplementing that, complementing it with new signings, but but really getting the best of what, out of what he's got. And I think Colin was onto something because we've seen it in the past. The example that Colin used was Martin O'Neill coming in and perhaps getting the best out of some players, such as Stan Petroff, for example. I mean, he, he absolutely bloomed under Martin O'Neill. Some of the other examples that get thrown about Bobby Petter. I see, I'm not so sure on that because I, I know that he had a few good games, but it's not as though we had two and a half cracking seasons out of Bobby. I, I don't think so anyway. I just think that the games were so pivotal, um, JP, pivotal Ajax. moments, Ajax in the 6 2 game. Yeah. But I, I don't think we've seen that over a period of time uh, from Bobby Petter. And I'm not having a dig at Bobby. But um, I think the big one for me was someone like Stan Petrov, you know, because he had uh, come in at a, a bad time. Uh, for anyone really, under John Barnes and, and Kenny and wish. So Colin was talking about getting the best out of three or four guys who've maybe underperformed this season.
2: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
3: Also, getting the best out of three or four of the younger players who are maybe on the cusp of something, just on the edges, the fringes of the squad. And then maybe getting something out of some of the lone guys that are out there playing and playing well elsewhere. And I think he is onto something because, you know, we had done a previous podcast where, you know, at the top ends we were getting rid of 18 players, which is just astronomical amounts of personnel to be getting rid of. And any uh, organization never mind a football team, um, but we started talking about that, and I think he's got a good point on it. And the example I would use, I guess, and I'm not thinking for a moment that we can go out and get a manager of this caliber. What what I'm talking about is the impact that he's made. And I know JP will also have a, a view on this. Um, so Thomas Tuchel, for example, he comes in, he replaces a club legend uh, at Chelsea in January, and at that point, you know, the club are. Underperforming. Uh, Lampard is sacked uh, unceremoniously. They're sitting eighth in the league. They're now fourth. They're in an FA Cup final. They're in a European Cup final against a team that JP is not too fond of. But it's a great example. It's a great example of a club just acting when the time is right and making that change, and then the manager, and as I say, I'm not saying we're going to get anyone of that same calibre, but the manager making that impact, Declan, you know, getting a song out with so many players that weren't doing it for Lampard before, and, you know, it's with a bit of regret that I'm looking at that, because I'm a bit like JP, I still think that at that moment, we could have turned it around, um, but we didn't make the change.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought I would ever be in a podcast praising Roman Abramovich, but you know, they, they made the right moves this season. Um, and no doubt, when, when Tucho came in, guys like Zuma, Christensen, um, i trying to think who else played at the back for Chelsea, certainly Zuma and Christensen as defenders, big Thiago Silva's in there, the old uh, PSG man, he certainly made them a lot more of a, a defensive unit. Even some of the goalkeeper saves last night were excellent. They were under the course for a bit of the game, but they, they, they silenced Benzema very well and played very well. Now, Rudiger, I've just seen that in the comments. Um, that early on in the season, Chelsea were struggling, like ourselves, to defend properly. They were having horror shows, and you know they made the change, and it did work. Now, mm. whether it would have worked this season, again, it's all just if buts and maybe's. But you can at least try it, and you can at least try and inject something new. That change shouldn't have been John Kennedy at that point, because we've seen that that's just been the same continuation of the old guard since Jones had the job. Mm-hmm. Is it over 60 days now, Paulie's been there? It is, yes, it's over 60, over 60 days. days. So, you know, I mean, between Brendan coming in in 60 days, he'd beaten Lincoln, Red Dimps, Fianna, Celtic Park, very different team, but, you know, we had a team in harmony and jailing together. Mm. So, if we'd have made the change, even at the very last ditch point at Ross County in the League Cup, you know, I don't know what could have happened then, but we didn't. And where we are just now is our own doing.
3: It is. The architects of our own demise. I don't know what the Latin is for that, JP, but uh, you're going to come in and add something there to what Derek was saying?
1: It it does lead me on to a bit of research that I've done because um, on Sunday, after Sunday's um, uh, game against Rangers, I I mentioned something about COVID and I only managed to shoot on a little bit of what I actually uh, was trying to say in the comments <laughs> somebody said JP stop it you're embarrassing yourself and I, and I, and I, and I read that and I was like okay I'm going to take that point and uh, try and elaborate so if you look back at the January to March last season well last year pre-COVID mm-hmm. January to March we scored we won nine games and we, we drew one we scored 34 goals in ten games Eddie scored nine Griffiths scored seven McGregor scored six Julian three, two apiece for Ireland and Cham, and then the goals were spread uh, one a piece after that. Man of the matches, the actual game man of the matches, not Celtic man of the matches. Eddie got three, McGregor got three, Griffiths got one, Forrest got one. Of the players who played, who have left, Forster played all the games, obviously, so he's gone. And Cham played seven of those ten games and only mm-hmm. didn't play the last three, probably because of injury. Hayes played two, Bauer played one, Frimpong one, and Jozo played. Jozo played most of them because we were playing three at the back. Yeah. So all those players were playing for something. What were they playing for? I would argue they were playing for a move. And mm-hmm. I include McGregor in that. And I include Eduard in that. And I include um, uh, uh, Ayer in that as well. And those guys were flying. We'd scored 34 goals in 10 games. Everybody knows what the next game was that didn't happen. Right. The season was curtailed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I would argue that without COVID, those players, this big, massive rebuild that has to happen this summer, I don't think would be as big, because I think some of those players would have moved last summer. We wouldn't have liked it. We wouldn't have gone down well ahead of this monumental season. But I think some of those players would have gone. And I think we would have had to have gone out and sign players to replace them. We would have surely had to spend serious money to get them and I just think you would have been left with a squad starting this season that had a far bigger appetite for success because there may have been players there that hadn't won anything. These players have all won everything for the last four years. And uh, you've got a different mentality going into Champions League qualifiers and you don't have learning coming out at the end. Foolishly, in my eyes, I'm not defending them. He shouldn't have come out and revealed what he did about the players not wanting to be there and how they come to him and said they didn't want to be there. So you're you're you you're, you're utilising a squad with that, and that's before you talk about ball and goalies. That's before you talk about Dubai and the self isolation. That's before you talk about the international games where uh, Christie has to self isolate. Eddie gets COVID all of that, and that's even before you get to the fans, because everyone automatically thinks, oh, you're just saying, oh, Celtic didn't have fans. That's way down my list of priorities when I'm talking about the impact of COVID on Celtic. Mm. Celtic were fragile going into COVID, they didn't anticipate it, and I think the the board probably thought they could have got away with it without COVID, and they might just have. It's a gamble they should never have made, in my opinion, but they were in a fragile state. Rangers were and it just sailed through a storm and we capsized in August and
3: that's what I want to say about that No, JP, what you have uh, realised, if you haven't realised already is that um, every single word you say will be scrutinised, criticised and that's what happened because you made a point but didn't really have the opportunity to expand on the point which you just did there and I'm looking at the situation thinking well, you know Actually, you know, when you add all that up, it's great to do so with with hindsight, of course it is. And you look at the comments that Neil Lennon made to comments that are very relevant to what you said. Firstly, there's guys in there who don't want to be here and haven't wanted to be here for some <coughs> time. And it's starting it to bu- it's starting to bug me with these mm-hmm. words. The other thing that you said um in and around that that situation in relation to the fact that you know the guys didn't want to be there were that and this was bizarre. Maybe they are sick of winning. Remember that one? You I know. That as well. I yep. So yeah, so when you look at it from that um, kind of angle Declan I think it's a good point you raise JP it's just so unfortunate that we're sitting here in May mm-hmm. looking back and it is what ifs but I think that the club would have approached the transfers in a completely different way had we brought in all the tens of millions for the players described and you know had you sold in Cham back then you would have got a good fee Edward was playing at his optimum in terms of the fee you would have been able to get Christy Ayer and maybe some more so you're right you're talking big big money coming in the rebuild would have been vast but it would have been a completely different story but this does take us on to what is the rebuild going to look like so first and foremost I take Colin's point on board bring in a a manager of quality and I think I'm still looking for Eddie Howe to be that man I've got to say I'm not looking elsewhere I know Celtic have been uh, offered uh, Paulo Fonseca um, and I think any other club who is managerless uh, in a, a reasonably a reasonably big club or in a big league will be offered the manager as well. Obviously, that's going to ha- happen through agents. But I'm still pinning my hopes on Eddie Howe. So if he comes in, Declan, and he has that same effect that O'Neill had on Alexei Petrov, and we could probably go through, you know, the effect that Rogers had on various players, um, then yeah, that's going to improve what we have. But then when we look at the the actual transfer side of things couple of things working against us and many other teams. Firstly, there's a the financial aspect of getting out of COVID and recovering um, out of COVID. And then, obviously, there's the Brexit aspect of, you know, bringing players in willy-nilly from all over Europe isn't going to be as easy when you're looking at work permits, etc. And there was a, an interesting discussion... Um, activated last night which I wasn't really part of because I was finishing season three of Ashes to Ashes that shows you how long it takes me to catch up with things JP right (laughs) Um, I kind of sussed it out but it was good for it to confirm what i had been thinking but you look at the way that we've been signing players yes it has worked uh, a number of times when you bring someone in for two to three million pounds, and you sell them on it as a profit. We all know that that was the the kind of um, you know the blueprint for success for Peter Lowell making money for the club. Russell makes a great point that you know why not just qualify for the group stages of the Champions League rather than sell the players and make just as much money, which I do subscribe to. But then I was looking at influential players that we've had, who are all Scottish players, most of whom were signed from Scottish teams uh, over the last few years so you look at Scott Brown I'm not going to tell you wh- where we signed him from but because you'll know David Turnbull you know Craig Gordon's last club was Sunderland but you know he's a Scottish player largely based in Scotland Ryan Christie Stuart Armstrong Lee Griffiths Again, we signed him from Wolves, but I, you know he was available to us when he was at Hibs and uh, when he was at uh, Livingston Dundee, when he was a prolific goalscorer, Greg Taylor from Kilmarnock. You then look at some of the, the most influential players that we ourselves have produced, Scottish players, James Forrest, Callum McGregor, Kieran Tierney, and you look at some of the players that we missed out on, John McGinn, Aaron Hickey, Stephen Fletcher, James McCarthy. And the reason I'm bringing it up is... By the way, I can't see a centre-half in that entire group or even a goal scorer. But <laughs> you get my point. You know, Over the last 10 years or so, you imagine a team built around that as a nucleus. Now, they'd have won the league, you know, and they would have probably uh, performed a lot better in Europe than some of the teams that we've put into European competition. The reason I'm bringing it up is that there's certain names getting, uh, you know, linked to Celtic at the moment. You know, Lewis Ferguson... Um, Doy at Hibbs Campbell at Millerwell, Jamie McGrath at uh, St Mirren. These are guys that people are sometimes, um, you know, turning their nose up at. And that's not the classy player we need at Celtic. We need to think bigger than that to be a success at Celtic. And I'm not too sure now, Declan, I'll come to you first, that that's the case at this moment in time. I think the shining example of that in the moment is Turnbull. The season before that was probably Ryan Christie. You know, going back a few more seasons, and it's Stuart Armstrong. And these are guys we brought in from Scottish football, Scottish football players. Um, and I think with everything else that's happening with the COVID and Brexit, players like Ferguson, I think, would be good additions to this squad. Colin disagrees with me, and that's fine. But, you know, I think if we supplement the team with the, the odd player from overseas that uh, we think can come in and play our system, that's great. But I think we need to go the other way you know, during this transitional period. And we do need to look closer at home. What's your thoughts on that, Dick?
4: Well I think it's always been something Celtics did to me, not to compare the the, the two teams in the two generations, but even under steen you know, adding guys like Dixie Deans, Harry Hood, Stevie Murray into the squad that was already developed has always been something that Celtics did. If you go to the centenary year, we bring up a Scottish striker and he's arguably the guy that wins us the league that year. Obviously signing him from West Ham. But on that point I think, you know just because they're Scottish, we just undervalue them. We just think to ourselves, oh, you know, Lewis Ferguson. I think Lewis would be a good signing for Celtic, but some people would rather us buy a, a £4 million player from Manchester City's academy because he's French or something, which doesn't make sense to me. I think Lewis, he's still young. He's still got a bit in him to develop. Same goes for Doig Gibbs. So why, why turn your nose up at players like this? And Ryan Christie is an example of a player he has been poor this season, but what you were saying earlier, Paul, last summer, You've made an absolute killer in Ryan Christie financially. Mm. And the same goes for a few of the other players if you'd have punted about their prime. You know, I don't doubt that if David Turnbull has another few strong seasons at Celtic, the three million quid that you paid for him, you'll make money on. So, you know, I've got absolutely no problem with his buying Scottish players. And I don't think that Lewis Ferguson or Josh Doig would be bad signings for Celtic. I think they would add something to the squad. And I think they would you know, be good enough to be in the first team because they've still got a bit of development to go. And there's nothing wrong buying Scottish players. It's something we've always did and something we should continue to do. The
3: thing is, JP, I'm not saying for a moment that it's a fail-safe. Nothing never, ever, ever is. I mean, Gary mackay Stephen. I thought he'd have been a success at Celtic. And he flopped. And there's other Scottish players that have come in. Scott Allen came in fairly recently. Lewis Morgan came in. It didn't work out for him. And I thought Allen was a fantastic player at Hibs when we signed him. So... What's your view on this? I mean, it, it can be a bit kinda of snobby of fans, I guess, and I'm I've probably fallen into that category. You look at marquee sign-ins. As Declan says, just because he's you know, he's got a sexy name and a sexy background and we sign him from the PSG Academy, oh he's a better bet than somebody who's actually in the league that you are participating in. And doing well in that league Do you think that Some through design But some through necessity We will see a lot more Of an influx of Kind of Scottish players Coming into Celtic This Uh, pre-season
1: I wouldn't have an issue with it I think there's probably Got to be a balance I think we definitely need To bring in experience You know I don't think we should be Going all out and signing Just like loads of young guns You know Scottish young guns I think you know as I mentioned earlier on, if there was to be a ready-made captain brought in, you'd like to think it would be somebody with a bit of gravitas, and you know, if it was a, you know, a guy that was in his late twenties, early thirties, or whatever, but was, you know, of some renowned, uh, you know, be it whatever nationality, um, that would be that would be something I would be hoping for. But with regards to signing players like that, you want players that are. And Russell said this before. You want players that are aware that they are going for a big club and and are not overawed by it, but they embrace it and they go for it. And you know, if you ask them to run through a wall, they'll ask you for another wall to run through after it. That's the type of people that you want, you know. Um, and really, really appreciate it. I mean, I listened to John McGinn talking about winning the Scottish Cup with Hibbs. and mm. it's it's so it's so unfortunate that we didn't get that guy because. I just like the way he talks, and, and and that's before you even get to his feet and what he does in a football park. You know what I mean? Just the way he talks. Um, and and on that note, I did I did like Jack Henry taking strips off that guy in the dressing room, and <laughs> calling <on> my face. <laughs> that was pretty good. And, and by the way, I I never jumped on the battering Jack Henry bus. I actually said on a Melly at the match twenty minute Tim's podcast. I was with Melly at a game, and we were talking about Jack Henry after the game, and. Jack Hendry's pilloried for a run of games which Celtic lost. Celtic lost three games in a row and Jack Hendry played all those games. And I think because he's associated with those losses subliminally, Celtic fans just completely wrote him off. And and then obviously there's the, the, the video of him running about at halfway in with the ball. I think it was at Partick Thistle where he doesn't really cover himself in glory. But I don't think Jack Hendry is by any means, as he's... Obviously, proven in Belgium, is by any means a dud. I, I, I really don't. I, you know, I might, I might be made foolish to uh, made to look foolish for saying that, but I, I, and I never did. I always kind of thought there's got to be something there. Do you know?
3: The thing with that one is as well, JP. Going back to what Colin was saying, you know, if we are able to to pull a couple of these guys back from loan who have mm-hmm. gone out and, and performed, I think Henry's the the classic example. I don't think Luca Connell's ready to come back. I think another season out on loan would do him wonders uh, either at Queen's Park or maybe at a higher level and there's a couple of other guys like that but I think maybe Sved might come back I don't know but we've got to make a decision on him pretty soon Uh, and again this is all opinion based because I'm not scouting these players I'm not seeing them I'm just seeing the snippets that everyone else is seeing You of Bio scores a goal here or there on the second tier of French football but it does take me back to the the Jack Hendry signing and talking to the scout who scouted him and um the reports that he was giving back to Brennan Rogers about Jack Henry. And um this is a quote by the way, using one of Declan's wee legal words there, verbatim, this is a verbatim quote. He said he was returning performances like Beckenbauer and I just thought, wow, that's tremendous. So I now call him Jack and right? So maybe <laughs> maybe maybe next season we'll see some of that. And at the time at that time, I'm thinking, Really? Beckenbauer? Wow. Because he was probably going through that that kinda of, um runny games where he wasn't really showing. But interestingly enough, again, just coming to my mind here talking to the scout, uh, and I won't get him into trouble, but he was talking about the change in approach. of Brendan Rogers when it came to the, you know, the week, I think it was a weekly meeting uh, that they had with Brendan Rogers and Brendan Rogers, obviously there was loads and loads of players who were being scouted, always as being scouted by Celtic. And all the scouts would um, feed back the, the reports on X, Y, and Z. And, and he was engaging with just about every single player that was getting put on his table. And he was asking questions, he was interested. But there was a distinct change. There was a moment where that all changed. And whatever was being reported back, Rodgers was not interested. He had checked out uh, because he knew he was never going to get the budget for the players that he wanted so no matter who was being presented to him and I think it's all around the Castagne and others deals that didn't go through and McGinn of course we've mentioned McGinn he had checked out and he knew that a lot of the players that were being presented to him were never going to be the standard that he wanted at Celtic but his attitude and his approach you know, actually changed and and the scout who I was talking to Actually, commented on how bad a change it was, how noticeable a change it was. He just he wasn't interested in what was being presented to him by that stage. Um, so that's interesting. But by that time, we had bought Jack Henry, and he definitely was a Brennan Rogers player. You know how we talk about the players that he didn't sign, Marvin yeah. Comper and Marion Schved and and others. Well, Henry was definitely a guy who Rogers rated very highly. I
1: think there was a line in the sand for that moment happened and it it, it just like the line in the sand was drawn and then after that moment it became a point where Celtic were just signing whoever they wanted and they didn't really have Roger's input
3: I I think so yeah yeah, I think so
1: I know
3: I think what happens is that obviously Bren Rogers gets a hard time from a lot of Celtic fans because he didn't cover himself in glory the way that he left. And a lot of people I've spoken to say that, you know, he didn't even get in touch with them who were at the club, people mm. who were employed by the club. So he's never ever going to change that because that's what happened. But I think the circumstances at some point will come out. I'm just not sure that Brennan Rogers will, will talk about it because he's always very respectful when he talks about Celtic. And he always mm. has been since he left. Um, but. With these things, somebody will write a book, somebody will um, contribute to a book, someone will speak on a podcast And in the future when they're no longer part of the the actual club and the truth will come out. But I think there was a lot of things, JP, we've heard a lot of the the reasons why the the relationship between Brennan Rogers and Peter Lowell was strained and then broke down. But yeah, there was a, a very visible day where they've gone in and gone about their business the same way as they always had done with scouting reports and feeding back Not interested, didn't even engage in relation to is this a guy that we can improve our squad with So that that was interesting for me But Jack Hendry, who knows, he might come back But we're talking about Scottish young guns That was a good term that JP used about some of the players that we've been linked to And uh, I always say this when we're talking about Celtic Colts teams Jock Steen wanted this to happen in 1968, Declan He made the application for Celtic to have a B team in the Scottish League. It was a second division at that time. Was it called the Division B, maybe, by that spot? There was only two leagues. And the Scottish uh, second division would have housed a Celtic reserve team. And Jock Steen tried to sell this. He tried to sell it to the clubs. He tried to sell it to um, the association. And what actually happened was it was Partick Thistle that had the the, um, defining vote. And they voted against it. Because they didn't want people who might have gone to Partick Thistle games to go to a Celtic Reserve game when Celtic weren't playing at home. Um, all these years later, there is a deal firmly on the table, um, and we're looking to put a Colts team Declan into the Lowland League system. Now, they are proposing that it's a one season trial. It will not affect promotion or relegation in any way, shape, or form. They're looking at players who are going to be uh, under, I think, 20 years of age, 22 players of a squad. And uh, they're looking at this situation. I think the clubs are looking at the situation in the respect that there's not a lot of money down there. In those leagues, there's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of sponsorship. And there's Certainly not a lot of broadcast. And you only see these teams if, you know, if they make it into the Scottish Cup first round proper, really. And they're looking at the money. Uh, there is a cash incentive for Celtic and Rangers to have a team in the league. And you know it will actually, it will ultimately come down to a member's vote. Declan, talk us through the pros and cons of this happening for next season. And also consider: Is this Celtic uh, maintaining a Scottish presence for when we leave the league?
4: hmm that's another that's a question for probably another day that one but pros and cons to me certainly pros is players getting football especially in the last year you know younger players haven't had as much football Um, the other pros to it is again the actual leak and what that could bring in if we do start to get fans any type of fans back in stadiums you know ticket money and whatnot could just help a few clubs I think whenever Celtic or Rangers will play there will be a support that will go and watch them no matter where it is in the country so that's another pro in my my opinion, um, it might bring a wee bit more attention to the leagues in terms of sponsorships and whatnot because you've got a Celtic and Rangers development side in there. And um, the cons, people would maybe argue about the level of the league. Mm-hmm. I saw how well the Corals did going down to League Two and playing for Queens Park. Probably be an argument a lot of Celtic fans would make that they'd rather guys like Kim and like Ryan Mullins at Queens Park Two would rather they would go to a, a team of that level and play their football because they'll maybe go down there and get booted about the place, but football has obviously changed. A lot of people would say, you know, Steen used to send a lot of players out to junior side and that's where they would learn their trade. Mm. Um, another con is it only being one year and it not lasted as long, but I, I think if you weigh it up, it's certainly something I would rather we, we had than didn't have because if they're not going to get the option to play anywhere else and they're not going to get those games, why not? Give it a bash and see how it goes, so... I'm I'm right up
3: for it and I think it would be a positive Yeah I'm the same as yourself Uh, I do really support the idea we've spoken about it a fair bit JP on a Celtic state of mind what do you feel about the the level I think it's a fair point that Declan raises and I think Jim Moore is of the same view that the level's maybe not high enough to uh, develop the players my counter to that is they're playing games and at the moment they're not really playing games so it's a better level than they're playing at the moment
1: Yeah I think to to nitpick over the the standard um, is is maybe being a bit fussy about it because ultimately, like you say, it's games and it's it's not just training, and it's not you know not having any. I think a lot a lot of it's probably got to do with like bonding and interaction and just having like a camaraderie. Like if you're not playing games, regardless of the level, you're not going to have that. And you know it's all about creating relationships between different players on the pitch. You know like what if there's like. A right back and a right midfielder that have got a good under, good understanding that plays for a whole season and then you could transfer that into into the first team. Um, I know that's quite a fanciful thought, obviously to have two players of of uh, uh, you know on the same side, you know, coming into the to the first team. But it, it's a possibility. Is it? When is it going to happen? Is it's not from next season, is it?
3: Yeah, that's the proposal for next
1: season. Oh, right, geez yeah. oh, I didn't yeah. realise it was as quick as that. So p- potentially we us three could go and watch a Celtic Colts team in the Lowland League before getting back to Celtic Park. Because
3: well, That's interesting, yeah.
1: Well, it's a possibility yeah. because uh-huh. you know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of numbers for the stadium. I know, obviously, the Euros and 12,000 at Hampden and all the rest of it, but a full house at Celtic Park, to me, is still some way away. So let's start looking into... Uh, <laughs> I don't know buses to wherever. <laughs> I don't even know who. I'm ignorant. I don't even know who plays in the Lowland League. So apologies for that.
3: No, it's that's again straight away. Uh, JP, I think you made a good point by saying that because I'm now looking at the Lowland League. Is that something I would have done uh, normally, ordinarily, if Celtic weren't involved? Probably not. Well, I will.
1: I will now definitely. I, I, if if you told me next weekend I could go and watch a Lowland League game, and I know it's obviously not happened yet, but if you told me I could go and watch a Celtic team play in a game. And be socially distanced at like a a wee ground somewhere, Um, you know. Like if it was the same as like Lockerman Park and May Hill along the road, a bit of her, you know, you can go and watch a game at a hundred percent. Go and watch that.
3: Well, it it could be
1: able to watch a football match in real life for over a year. You know, I
3: know. I know. You could be watching East Stirlingshire at Falkirk Stadium, which has a capacity just under 8,000. Or you could be watching Cumbernauld Colts at Broadwood Stadium, which has a capacity of just over 8,000. So, new experiences uh, possibly for next season JP a couple of comments before we wrap up now Maravchik comes in to say by the way Calmac can put his foot in where it hurts as well yep he has been penalised unfortunately <laughs> um, a few times this season Gary Byron get rid of the lot new team new manager get the support excited it's going to take three windows to get it right away and I just think that you know We've, we've had that podcast where we spoke about bringing in 12 players and all that. That in itself has it has issues, hasn't it? I mean, when you think about bonding, which you've just mentioned, JP, to try and bond a team together when there's so many new faces is a difficulty in itself. So th- these, for me, are some of the things that we need to consider. And also, is the finance going to be there? Because if we sell some of these big name players, I say big name players, guys with uh, who are assets who have a, a value, um, it's not necessarily going to then be reinvested in the in the playing staff because you know because of the COVID issues that yeah. we've, we've spoken about. Um, so yeah, we have got someone just correct me there. Yeah, Viewpark, not Oddingston. Thank you very much, Kevin Goldie. I did visit that last. Um, I, I visited it. Last year, I think it was. And you know how you get, if you do a video and you post it on Twitter, it automatically tells you mm. your location. And it said that the location was Uddingston, Even though I'm standing there and I know where I am. And I amount the people that came on Twitter saying, Paul, you've got that wrong. But it was the automatic location finder you'll, that was on Twitter. Location. Yeah, yeah that's it that's it uh, so thanks very much for that and I would actually advise anybody who is in the area to go up to View Park and, because it's a nice wee garden area where, where the Jimmy Johnston statue is situated as well but more statues the better for me and as I say we've not started um, raising funds yet for the Bruni to go across the road from Jim Baxter but you know what we might, we might revisit that idea in the future um, thanks everybody for getting involved Twitter, Facebook and on YouTube if you haven't already done so please subscribe to the YouTube Channel, uh, we're going to have some prize giveaways uh, very soon as well. If you subscribe, just to get you on the channel and get you involved, if you want to take part in the dialing, which happens on a Wednesday afternoon, get in touch. The emails are starting to through, it's pauljohn dykes at gmail.com. I know that a lot of our um, competitors, fans of our uh, competition, listen into this, so you know. I don't think it would be a good idea for you to appear on it. But uh, that's my email address for the Celtic fans who whatever have ever say in the running of the, the club, who whatever have ever say in the rebuilding of the club. Get involved. It was a great show yesterday as a trial run and we will get as many of you involved as possible. All that's left for me to say is Declan McConville, J.P. Mason, thank you again. <laughs>
2: When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust.